you know, week in, week out deal right now. I mean, we're in the middle of it, you know, and so I'm not sitting back looking at the previous three or four games right now. It's, you know, looking at the weeks that we're having, looking at the, the way that we're playing and then trying to just win and be at your very best the next week. And so were we at our best tonight? No, especially in the first half. I mean, especially there. Uh, we did miss a, more, more tackles than we have been missing, uh, which was also something that we we're going to have to do better. Uh, but I do think we have improved in some areas. There's no question. I mean, I, I really do. I think, you know, some of our the way that we run to the football, um, our mentality, I do think there's absolute growth. And there's going to have to be. I mean, no doubt. Some of the challenges that we got coming up uh, it, are going to be there. But the great thing for us right now is every goal that we want to be in front of us is right there in front of us. And that you got to win these games to do that. Sometimes you got to win them when you're not your best. Uh, we know here in the last couple we're going to have to find a way to get it to our best. Lincoln Riley on the general state of his defense following Saturday's razor-thin win over Oklahoma State. I wonder what OU's defensive best looks like. Perhaps we'll get an opportunity to see it at some point this season, but probably not. All of that optimism I had following the TCU and Kansas State games is gone. Since then, the Sooners have played a pair of teams with real offenses, and aside from playing a four-man front most of the time, this looks like the same old OU defense we've grown accustomed to for the past two to three years. Following the Texas Tech game, I was pretty negative. Grant, on the other hand, was not. And now that we're past Bedlam, I've decided to adopt his attitude. Grant was correct about the proper way to approach the rest of this football season. Just win, baby. And if OU somehow does get a shot at the playoff, anything can happen when you put that Sooners offense on the field. It's mid-November, and all the Sooners' goals are still in front of them. As an Oklahoma supporter, I suppose it's difficult to be bummed out about that. When each and every game truly matters, that's a good thing. OU versus Kansas is going to matter. And then OU at West Virginia is going to matter. The question is, will OU's 13th game of the season matter? No need to concern yourself with that at the moment. Like Lincoln Riley said, it's a week in, week out deal right now. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. We'll keep it on the ground with Hubbard for five more. Down to the 35, the football comes out, let's see. Oklahoma has it. It's Kenneth Murray, and that's the first turnover of this football game with 6.09 to play and tied at 41. What a time for a turnover. A massive moment in Bedlam welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Neville Gallimore stripped Chuba Hubbard Kenneth Murray recovered the fumble with the game tied at 41 apiece. That turnover led to a short Trey Sermon touchdown in the seven-point Sooners lead with about three minutes to play. And as you all know, OU would give up an OSU touchdown late, but the Pokes missed the two-point conversion, and the Sooners left Bedlam victorious. Hey, everybody. Once again, I am Lee Benson. Grant will join us in a second to talk all about that crazy contest. We'll do some three-word reviews as well, which is quickly becoming my favorite segment of the show. Tons and tons of three-word reviews from listeners out there following Bedlam, so stay tuned for those. Before we break everything down, you all know the drill. You like the show? Subscribe on iTunes. Also, while you're at it, please leave us a rating and a review. Those five-star reviews are awesome and helps us out in the iTunes ranking. You want this Oklahoma podcast to beat all the other OU podcasts, right? 
Like West of Everest on Facebook, I actually posted a picture on the Facebook page Sunday showing the moment Taylor Cornelius was throwing that final two-point conversion pass. And let's just say Oklahoma got away with one there. If you want to see that picture, like the show on Facebook and check it out. Also, you can follow Grant on Twitter, at GrantBenson25. I am at LeeBensonNews9. And if you want to send us an email, you can send it to westofeverest at gmail.com. All right, let's do this. Tons to talk about. And I also I have a couple more post-game sound bites from Lincoln Riley to play. We don't normally play post-game comments on these, uh, these post-game podcast episodes, but today's a little different, I think. There's a couple things that Riley said that I want to talk about or that I want to hear. So let's bring in Grant now to get things going. Grant, what's going on? Nothing much, Lee. Seems like we got quite a bit to unpack this week, eh? Yeah, so like every episode of West of Everest, it would seem during the regular season, the defense is the A topic, and so that's the A topic today, and right off the bat, let's play some more Lincoln Riley, because our last podcast, you know, we always talk about what we want to see Oklahoma do, how we think they should attack certain offenses, and then how we think they should attack certain defenses, and you talked about how you thought Tylen Wallace was clearly the best player in Oklahoma State's offense. And you wanted, uh, remind me, you wanted to see them kind of pay attention to him a lot, right? Did maybe bracket him, try to, in a way, double team him in, in some ways. Is that kind of what your thought process was? Yeah, that should have been the game plan going in, 100%. So, so take away Tylen Wallace, try to limit the, the passing game as much as you can limit a Big 12 passing game. And I, I, I somewhat agree because, I mean, that's Oklahoma State is pretty good whenever they're, they're given room to throw and, and Taylor Cornelius gets in a rhythm. And, and you saw on Saturday that when he starts to, to feel it and his timing is there and he anticipates throws and, he's, and he sees what he's seeing on the field from the defense is kind of what he's anticipating. Pretty good throw with the football. So that's kind of what we were hoping for. Uh, I was surprised to hear this from Lincoln Riley, I'll be honest with you, uh, of the Oklahoma game plan defensively. Here is Lincoln Riley saying the game plan uh, was to key against the run and then make Oklahoma State one-dimensional. Listen in. So we came in thinking, you know, let's make them one-dimensional, give ourselves some chances. As they hit some balls over the top of us early, you know, naturally you still don't want them to get going in the run game. And so we we did loosen some things up. They made some plays on some bubble screens. I thought we, we actually played them pretty well there uh, the last couple of drives, which was really, really big. Got a couple of stops there. But... You know, we've got to improve. You know, we, we got to grow. Uh, we had some opportunities, especially on some long, some third and longs again that, that plagued us a little bit that we didn't get off the field. So we got to play better. But, you know, again, they our kids fought through it and found a way to win and make some huge plays at the end. So that's Lincoln Riley saying that uh, the game plan was to take away the run, take away Justice Hill, take away Chuba Hubbard. And I'll let you comment. I'll, I'll comment first on this. I I. I found it puzzling. I found it puzzling that the defensive game plan was the key against the run game. As I've seen Oklahoma State all season long, and again, I've watched a lot of Oklahoma State this season just based on what I do for a living in Oklahoma City. Uh, not as much as Oklahoma, but the, the second most team I've watched in the Big 12. And then, of course, leading up to the game, I watch more and more film a little more closely. I've never came away from a game thinking, man, you've got to stop the Cowboys running game. You've got to stop it. And I think a big reason for that is the offensive line. Oklahoma State's offensive line just it doesn't jump off the screen at you. It just doesn't look like it's the best unit. It seems like they've struggled to open up lanes for Justice Hill this year and more recently Chuba Hubbard when he's seen more carries. Now, 
Oklahoma did, I, th- I thought, do a pretty good job of slowing down the running game against Oklahoma State. There was really one big run, and it was a, on a draw play, a very nicely timed draw play, I think, in the second quarter to Justice Hill. But for the most part, I thought Oklahoma did do well against the, the run game. Would Oklahoma have still played the run effectively if their game plan hadn't have been keying against the running game? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that. We don't know that, but... I will say this, Oklahoma has been pretty solid against the run game, Grant, since moving to that four-man front after Ruffin McNeil took over. Stopping the run coming into this game was just something I was not all that concerned about, Uh, but clearly it was for Lincoln Riley and Ruffin McNeil. So uh, were you also surprised to hear Lincoln Riley say that? Yeah, I don't understand how you watch Oklahoma State through nine games of the season and you get the idea that you absolutely have to shut down the run game. Lee, they... They throw the ball, or they throw the ball to set up the run, not not vice versa. So I just I, when you dedicate extra guys into the run game, and you're and then you allow over 500 yards passing, just doesn't it doesn't make doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't I don't understand how you watch Oklahoma State over the course of the season and you devise that sort of game plan. It, it makes no sense whatsoever to me. So basically, I. You know, either either we're wrong or Oklahoma's wrong. And let's be let's be totally honest. We aren't football coaches. We're not in that that meeting room. They know more about the game than we do. So let's acknowledge that. That that shouldn't we shouldn't have to acknowledge that. That's obvious. Uh, they're they're high level thinkers. So there's a difference of opinion here. They thought that was the the right way to go. Okay, fine. It's just. And, and he did acknowledge, Lincoln Riley, you know, once they hit some big plays, they had to kind of change things up and they softened up. But, you know, my thought process is if you're going to key against the run and, you know, basically what you're saying is that, okay, we're, we know they're going to try to throw the football. You know, they key against the run, but they made it incredibly easy for Oklahoma State to throw the football, which, again, one of the, the – the, another thing that you and I talked about going into the game was if the defensive game plan – for Oklahoma was similar or the same as the Texas Tech game, we are going to see the good to great version of Taylor Cornelius. And the defensive game plan was to take away the running game. So therefore, it was basically, okay, let Taylor Cornelius throw the ball, which is where he can excel. When Taylor Cornelius is is given defenses like that, where he understands and he knows what you're doing defensively, that's where he can be good. And so that's why and that's another puzzling thing to, to on the decision to try to take away the run because the way to get Taylor Cornelius to play like the, the sub-50% completion percentage guy is to make him uncomfortable and to try to take away the pass, not necessarily the run game. So it's just, again, it's a difference of opinion on uh, between us and the defensive game plan. But what we saw, Grant, was Taylor Cornelius – as the the good to really good college quarterback in that game and like you said he threw for over 500 yards it's and I suppose and I, I texted you before this I might have an attitude going into this is like I'm more of like well who cares at this point because I watch a lot of defensive film and get prepared for this podcast and it seems like the past few podcasts, I've had more defensive thoughts than offensive thoughts, and you've had you've had a, a lot of really good offensive things to say, which good on you because I haven't paid as close attention to the offense because the offense is just so good, and I'm not concerned about the offense overall, especially compared to the defense. But now I'm starting to question: Do I 
do I need to watch back this much OU defensive film and this much and really put a lot of thought into it? Because it doesn't seem like anything's going to really change. And what I'm seeing on the on film so far through, what is this now, four games of Ruffin McNeil, he truly is, he's sticking to his mantra of keeping things simple. And I'm seeing a lot of the same things over and over and over again for Oklahoma's defense. And so if, if we're seeing the same simple things over and over again, this is what we're going to get, Grant, I think, moving forward. And, I mean, I guess just I guess we got to live with it and just hope that Oklahoma can just outscore everybody because uh, I know that's kind of been the thought process for a lot of people this whole entire season. And I've kind of held ground of like maybe, maybe they can switch, switch things up and turn this around and get a little bit better on defense to where they're not just, well, we got to outscore people. I've, I'm, th- I'm definitely coming around. It's, it's a we got to – we as an Oklahoma got to outscore people and that's just the way it's going to be. And I guess you just live with it. Yeah. Lee, and just to put, put the bow kind of on this, on this talk about the scheme and and Taylor Cornelius and whatnot. I just want to go back and just the the four games Lee that Oklahoma state has lost this year. I mean, what's, what's happened in them? What's, what's been the primary reason why they've lost those games. It's because they've struggled to get the offense going or the offense is broken down in key times. And all of that is primarily because the other team takes away Taylor Cornelius's first option and is able to pressure him. Oklahoma's defensive staff came in with a game plan that was the exact opposite of that. And Lee, that's just that that's been a theme over, you know, honestly, over the last four or five years where Oklahoma refuses to do what other teams have proven um have proven on film to slow other offenses with. They just don't do it. And it's frustrating, which leads me to believe, Lee, and it's, it, it's starting to, uh, to make me question, honestly, the entire defensive coaching staff and, and whether or not this program needs a complete overhaul of, of the personnel and philosophy on that side of the ball. I, I think it's becoming quite clear that that is probably appropriate. I obviously, I'm not going to argue with you. They're, there's a defensive culture problem at Oklahoma. I know that uh, apologists and people that want to look at the the bright side of things will tell you, will say, hey, listen, and the Big 12, it's really hard to play defense in the Big 12. This is something that you and I have acknowledged over and over and over again. There's zero question the Big 12 is the most difficult conference in America to play defense. 70% of the teams in the conference can hang 40 on you any given Saturday. There's no doubt about that. But two things can be true at once, Grant. Yes, it's difficult to play defense in the Big 12. It's the most difficult conference to play defense in in the country. And also, it's possible to play good defense in the Big 12. And there's no better example than that. The last couple of years, Texas, TCU, granted both of those defenses this season, a little bit down, a little bit down. Uh, TCU injuries, Texas is is giving up a lot of big plays and not slowing people as much as, as Texas did last year. Iowa State, Iowa State's defense a season ago was pretty darn good. Wasn't the best in the Big 12. That was either TCU or Texas, but it was easily the third best. In 2018, Iowa State has the best defense in the Big 12 now. I think we can say that without a shadow of a doubt through, through 10 weeks. Iowa State's found a way to play really good defense in the Big 12. It's possible, and it's not like – Iowa State's got a bunch of five-star guys like an LSU and an Alabama and a Georgia. Iowa State's figured it out. They gave up. And the thing is, though, it's not like Iowa State's perfect. Iowa State still makes mistakes and gives up. Iowa State gave up 40-plus to that Oklahoma State team. So 
Iowa State's defense couldn't even slow down Taylor Cornelius, so they couldn't figure it out. But you look at Saturday, Iowa State allowed more than 500 yards of offense grant to Baylor, and you think, oh my God. But Iowa State also only allowed 14 points in that game. So tons and tons of yards, but Iowa State was still able to keep Baylor off the scoreboard. So that means that Iowa State, even in games when the defense probably wasn't at its best, still found a way to hold a, a good Baylor offense to two touchdowns. And so it's possible to play good defense. The question is, will Oklahoma in the offseason, because I think, I think we found out one thing for sure, on Saturday and more than that but and maybe we knew this already I mean Ruffin McNeil he's such a such an awesome guy and he's he's not going to be the defensive coordinator for Oklahoma moving forward it's just it's not I can't imagine he will be retained so the question will be what direction will Oklahoma go after this year that's something to look forward to again after the season ends but um, it is worth talking about right now because the defense has been so horribly bad when there are some other teams in the Big 12 that have seemingly figured out how to play defense in this conference. And also, Lee, you can't discount the factor of this defense is, is made up of a bunch of guys that pretty much every program in the country wanted. And so it gets to the point where, I mean, is this, is this a recruiting problem? Is this a development problem? Is, is this a scheme problem? Or is it just kind of an amalgamation of all of them together? Probably that. Um, but I'm, when you do have a side of the ball with, with a bunch of guys that, that are highly touted recruits, I think it's pretty easy to start questioning just the, the development of, of this, um, you know, the development skills of this coaching staff, and especially Kerry Cooks coming to mind. I just the secondary I think Lee has gotten worse every single season he has been here progressively and I think it's it's probably time to to start uh hoping that maybe he moves on at the end of the season and you you point to Kerry Cooks because he's the defensive backs coach and I you know last week after the Texas Tech game I I know I came out and I kind of had a mea culpa and said you know it just Truthfully, guys, the secondary for Oklahoma isn't very good. It's bad. It's it's maybe the, it's it's honestly maybe the worst in the Big Twelve. It's and again on on Saturday it was it was really bad. I mean it's I I don't I I think you you, may, you know is is a mixture of everything. I think it's a mixture of everything. I and so it's just it's so difficult for me to watch this team play defensive back because. As a former defensive back, I played in high school. I love, I love looking and watching good defensive back play. I love it. And I never see it from Oklahoma. It's the exact opposite. It is always just puzzling and confusing defensive back play. And then it seems like I turn on any other college football game, even in the Big 12, even against even other, you know, get Big 12 games where it's you got defenses that aren't very good statistically like the Texas Tech or even West Virginia's defense I know is supposed to be better this year and it is but it's still like not a great defense and even like a Kansas State you see defensive backs for all these teams and there'll be at least one or two guys that look really solid and really good and confident out there and in, in their cover skills and taking throws away you don't see that ever for Oklahoma ever ever and it's it's so maddening to me because it should be so fun to play defensive back in the Big 12. They throw the ball so much. It'd be so cool to go against that many passes and have that many opportunities to make plays. And yet it's the opposite for Oklahoma. It's like they're scared to death. They're scared to death of the pass. 
and it really shows on film and it shows on tape and once again they got absolutely picked apart uh, by Taylor Cornelius and man it's again I think it's a mixture of everything it's a mixture of scheme it's a it's a mixture of skills declining and and probably coaching not being coached correctly and and not just not being confident in what they're doing and, and the philosophy of the defense and it's all coming together and making Oklahoma an incredibly easy team to throw the football on which is very sad it's just very sad yeah Lee the more I think about it now um kind of as you're going through your your monologue I, I start just sort of replaying some of the plays over the course of the game and sort of the thing and some of the things that I've noticed and and the more I I just think this was just a complete breakdown uh, of defensive game planning and philosophy in this they did the exact opposite of what they should have done I, I think in every scenario I texted you over the course of the game that they were playing a very curious amount of 4-3 we saw that a lot with Caleb Kelly on the field and of course now when we hear Lincoln Riley say that the game plan was to key against the run that makes more sense now but it, it doesn't make sense to me when you know what the weaknesses of this Oklahoma defense are. Lee, Caleb Kelly playing in space last year was one of the, the massive blind spots of last year's defense. Um, and yet they go into this game with, with maybe the best passing offense they've faced this season um, or, or the most dangerous passing offense they've faced this season. And yet you have Caleb Kelly playing a lot in space, completely going away from uh, the scheme that had been that had you know they had showed some success with the you know in the three games since Mike Stoops has been fired, which is that four two five look with Buki playing up near the line of scrimmage and the in the nickel. They didn't do that at all in this game. Buki was back playing free safety again, uh, far away from the ball and not making much of an impact. Um, I'm just really confused as to what they were doing. It just it makes yeah. no it, it it really does just reek of a game plan that is. By God, I hope our offense can just outscore them. And when you come in with, it's just none of that. They they did exactly what Oklahoma State wanted them to do. It they made it easy on them. Yep, it's exactly, and that's, and you know what, and this is that's exactly why I didn't take Oklahoma to win this game big. I didn't. I took Oklahoma State to cover that spread. That Oklahoma State probably should have won the game. Because you know, finally I realized you know we just have not seen enough evidence defensively that Oklahoma is willing to make uh, the the correct decisions and the correct moves to take away another team's strength or at least try to, and um, that's again it's like yeah we can sit here and lament the defense shame on us because we at this point we kind of know what it is and and I know there's some people out there that kind of joke and I saw on social media it's like oh it's a good thing Oklahoma fired Mike Stoops that was definitely the problem you know what you know yeah go kick rocks man because you know what it's you're you're the the inference is oh Mike Stoops should still be coaching the defense and I know people probably joke about that yeah yeah yeah. and they're trying they're they're really kind of just commenting on the defense being bad and but you know what it that needed to happen. It should have happened before. And that he's in charge of the defense. And the entire defensive mentality starts from Mike Stoops down. And that has seeped into everything. And this is why Oklahoma is currently in this situation because the defensive culture has been poor. It's been very poor. And so, as much as we all were hoping that things would would improve and change and, and another season where we were hopeful about the offense in 2018 and the offense has been incredible and Kyler Murray has been tremendous and 
Again, if it wasn't for Tua Tagovailoa, and still, even now, after Tua, he's a little nicked up now. Who knows how he's going to go? I mean, Kyler Murray could still win the Heisman Trophy, and yet it's yet another season of Oklahoma's defense being absolutely atrocious and an embarrassment. And so you just sit back and you think, okay, offense, like you always have the pressure on you. You've succeeded for the most part with the pressure on you. Uh, Tua doesn't have to worry about this pressure ever uh, because he knows that if he messes up, which doesn't happen a lot, uh, frankly, he's really good. But if he does, that's fine because the Alabama defense will probably pick him up because there's not a whole lot of good offenses in the SEC anyways that'll be able to stretch that defense. And also it's a good defense. So point being, offense, go out there. You're the best unit still in college football. Alabama still is behind you. Go out there and win some games, and then maybe every once in a while the defense can pick you up, just like last year every once in a while, especially down the stretch. The defense did make some plays. Defense made a play on Saturday, got a turnover, only turnover of the game. So, you know what? Great, great job. Credit to Neville Gallimore. Stripping it. Credit to Kenneth Murray for recovering that. Big play led to a go-ahead touchdown. You know what? This is me. Like That's a huge play. Can't take that away from Oklahoma's defense whatsoever. That's a massive play. Incredible. I love it. I love that. And by the way, as I ramble on and on and on, maybe we can talk about something positive. Grant, Neville Gallimore was fantastic again. He was great in that game. There was multiple times where he was beating single defenders and getting to the quarterback. One, one he got a sack. And another couple times he forced Cornelius to roll out of the pocket. And then, of course, him stripping Chuba Hubbard late in the game. I mean, Neville Gallimore is playing really good football. And it seems like whenever he doesn't make a play, it's because he's double teamed. And the, uh, the opposing offense has max protect on. And, and he's a guy that's getting multiple players blocking him. I thought he was great. Yeah, I, I thought he was. If, if you're going to point to a bright point of the defense, I think you probably have to point to him. You know, I, I hope he's healthy. We we don't know if he is or not. So yeah. I mean that that didn't look great. He 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 had you know he needed help to get off the field. So um, I, I'm not I'm not quite done being negative yet, Lee, because I think I need to bring up something. Role reversal. Last I know week you were. Po- no, I, this is this is what makes this podcast number one. Yeah. Well, I just okay. I well, number one on my list. There's some. There's just kind of some unfortunate truths that I think need to be said and need to be recognized by everybody. And this is, and of, of course, is we're going off on on different tracks now. But and, and I'll kind of I'll, I'll sort of ramp it down with this. But I think we have to start questioning Lincoln Riley. He signs off on these game plans, Lee. And it really, it really makes me start to question if he's going to make the right decision in the offseason about the defensive coordinator. And, and I, think that's a, I think that's a completely fair position to take because I, yesterday was a complete and total disaster, and Lincoln Riley gave it the thumbs up. And so has he inspired any sort of confidence that he's going to find the right guy? I don't think he has. I'll say this. It's a fair question, Absolutely. I don't really want to go there yet because, well, one, I'm, I'm on the ground here. Granted, I don't go to as many availabilities as I, as I would like to. You know, I, all, all this stuff happens on, when I, on days when I'm not available to go, and I don't see these guys as much as I would like. But I, I don't want to go there yet. But it is, again, it is a fair question. It, it, I guess I'll, I'll put it this way. Lincoln Riley's an offensive genius. I'm not so sure yet if he is if if he knows really what a good defense looks like a good Oklahoma defense. I mean clearly he'll 
Heck, he watched Georgia tape for a month a season ago and prepared for that really good Georgia defense and was able to figure out ways to shred it. So I think Lincoln Riley knows what good defense is. The question is, and I know the, the, the talking point for the last couple of years is recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. Oklahoma needs to have better players on defense, better players, and that's what I'm guessing that's probably what Mike Stoops was telling him, like, my, like hey, hey, coach, hey, Link, we need – we need better guys here because I need better players to run my system, my scheme. When you get better players, it'll work. And Oklahoma's recruiting classes have been pretty good the past couple of years. And I'm sure Mike Soups would have liked to have another year or two of top 10 recruiting classes to, to try out his, his defensive scheme. But it's pretty clear it wasn't going to work. It wasn't working. So now, hopefully, Lincoln Riley can, can recognize as time goes on, we has more time to sit down and think in the offseason. It's not necessarily – players I mean players are incredibly important I mean that's why Alabama is always so great but also Nick Saban's really good and he has a good coaching staff and I know it's to sound like a broken record but Iowa State doesn't get big time top players either and Iowa State knows what it's doing Haycock there at Iowa State is a great defensive coordinator clearly he has figured out how to defend the Big 12 I mean he's not shutting down the Big 12 because nobody's going to shut down the Big 12 it's it's too good offensively but he's figured out a way to limit other teams, and his defense has the ability, like you saw against West Virginia, to shut down a really good offense, which there's no way Oklahoma can shut down a really good offense. They, they just can't with what they're doing. It's not going to happen. So I think it's fair that you bring that up. It is a fair question. It's just I, on my end, I don't want to go there quite yet. Give it more time, and and as, as we get more time, then then I'll I'll give more thoughts on that. And hopefully sure. that's okay. And sure, I I acknowledge the irony of saying that when when Lincoln Riley is I think twenty one and three at Oklahoma. I'm not I'm not advocating for any sort of change there. I mean I, I still think he's an outstanding coach. I'm I'm just saying he has not he has not uh, demonstrated any sort of ability to I don't know to show us that that he knows what good defense is. He, he just he hasn't at all. So uh, we'll see what what decision he makes in the offseason. But I, I, I really do think his, his decision in the offseason, Lee, is what's going to separate, you know, uh, maybe a new golden era for OU football and them turning into just an ultra version of Texas Tech. And, and I don't say that lightly. I, I realize that that's just like a really may, a potentially hyperbolic thing to say, but that's that's kind of who they are right now. I mean, their defense is atrocious once again, and and it's just not really Oklahoma football. I mean, that's that's Texas Tech football, is it not? I Texas Tech might have a better defense at this point than Oklahoma. I'm more confident in Texas Tech's defense to to get offenses off the field right now, or at least throw something at you that they haven't seen before, or try to confuse you because OU's defense is is not even attempting that right now. I Everything mean, is simple. Simple, simple, simple. And this is the downside to the simple approach. When you have a, a simple defensive game plan, guess what else is going to, uh, I suppose, what does that do? Yeah, it, it makes the, the defensive players, they'll be faster. They're not confused. They'll know what their reads are. They should be able to play quicker and be more confident in the scheme. Yes. But you know what else that does? When the opposing offense sees it on tape and sees it over and over again and sees that you're very simple, it's pretty easy for a good offensive coordinator to realize, these guys are pretty simple. Let's scheme ways to exploit it. And that's exactly what happened on Saturday. I mean, Oklahoma State seemingly knew exactly what Oklahoma was doing on defense. And a great, I mean, there was plenty of opportunities, plenty of examples, but uh, kind of an off the, 
the beaten path example came in the second half where Oklahoma had Oklahoma State, I think, in third and like seven. And looked like Oklahoma was going to run there. They were in their dime package, going to run that dime package blitz with Curtis Bolton that they like to do now that they which it's kind of troubling now as we've seen this for four straight games. Oklahoma is kind of getting more more predictable with the, when it blitzes, which therefore makes it easy on offenses to think, oh, this is third down. Oklahoma is probably going to blitz here. Let's let's run a play away from this blitz or something that's effective against this blitz. But back to the play I was describing. Oklahoma was was doing that, but on this particular case, for whatever reason, they decided to blitz Bolton and Kenneth Murray, and instead of having Kenneth Murray either be man-to-man on a running back or man-to-man on... Actually, I take that back. That was, that was a different play. There was two different plays where Oklahoma State beat the blitz. On this particular play, Oklahoma did run their, their dime package, Curtis Bolton, two-man coverage blitz, the same one we started seeing against TCU and Taylor Cornelius saw that coming and what's the weakness in that blitz nobody is responsible for the quarterback everybody is manned up but the quarterback has nobody on him and Taylor Cornelius took the snap and just took off right up the middle of the field to a for like 15 yards for the first down easily and slid because he knew third down Dime package. I see Curtis Bolton coming through the A gap. Oh, this is going to be that blitz thing, and nobody's going to be covering me in all likelihood. And he was right. And Oklahoma being simple allowed Oklahoma State to exploit him there. And then it was a later play where it was third down, and they changed up the blitz a bit. They sent both Murray and Bolton off the edges, off each edge, which was a different little wrinkle. But it didn't matter because uh, Oklahoma State had a screen pass called which we saw the screen pass kill Oklahoma against Texas Tech against the Blitz, and uh, they threw a screen pass out to Chuba Hubbard, and Robert Barnes was responsible for Chuba Hubbard, but Robert Barnes was playing safety, which was a problem because there was plenty of yards between Robert Barnes and Chuba Hubbard, so it took him a long time to get there. And Trey Norwood and Trey Brown, I believe, that the corners couldn't get off blocks, and boom, Chuba Hubbard easily picked up like 15, 20 yards and got the first down, beating the Oklahoma Blitz, where if they, weirdly enough, if Oklahoma would have just done their standard Blitz Bolton through the A-gap, have Kenneth Murray cover the running back. He'd have probably blown up that play, either incomplete pass or a loss, or Taylor Cornelius would have not thrown the ball and Curtis Bolton might have gotten a sack there. So there's so many so many close calls and so many, oh, if this would have happened with Oklahoma's defense, and you could think, oh, they're just so unlucky. But we've seen it so many times over and over again to where I think, no, they're not unlucky. They just They just can't make plays. That's the defense that just can't make plays. Other defenses seem to make these plays and figure it out. And uh, this Oklahoma defense just, yeah, a little bit of bad luck, but you make your own luck, and Oklahoma just cannot do it defensively uh, with the exception of one turnover. That was huge, which good on them for that. Yeah, Lee, the defense is really bad. I don't really know how, <laughs> okay. else to, how else to say it. I think really any sort of offense with a pulse is going to have a lot of success against this defense. I think that's pretty pretty clear to say at this point in time. So it's the the rest of the season going forward, it's really going to be all about can they, you know, can they take advantage of the moments or the the very few moments they get to make plays. That's really what it's going to be about because I, I just I don't if 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 they go up against a, a competent team, I just I really don't see this defense consistently getting off the field. They they just they they haven't done anything, especially the last two weeks, to suggest that they're capable of doing that with any sort of regularity. 
I'm with you, and I'm not done yet either. I have one more piece of sound that I want to play from Lincoln Riley that uh, – I, what have I been saying since Ruffin McNeil took over when it comes to Oklahoma's defense and their decision at times to rush three and drop eight? Went over it a lot last week against Texas Tech. Oklahoma does not know how to drop eight and play good zone coverage. Lee, this is and this has been this has been a, a criticism I think amongst the fan base of the coaching staff uh, for a number of years, really since Mike Stoops came back in his second uh, in his second stint here. And I, and I think kind of the obvious, there, there's two big blind spots as to why this doesn't work. One, they just don't really have the pass rushers. Sometimes there are some teams that can rush three, and because you have good pass rushers, it can pay off sometimes. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is, Lee, they're bad at playing zone coverage and have been for nearly a decade. I, I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. They, they, they do not teach zone coverage well, and I think that's, that's no. quite obvious. Uh, We've and, seen too many examples of that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, they're just um, the, the safeties are awful playing zone, and, and I Oklahoma's linebackers just might be the worst in the country playing zone coverage. Uh, Kenneth Murray is just atrociously awful playing zone. Is so so bad. Hey, he did have uh, one pass breakup yep. though. Yep, he did. Away. That was he, he. He did a good job there. But his his main problem is he has no anticipation. Doesn't really have a feel for where receivers are going to be. And he just doesn't get deep enough either. He 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 needs to. Uh, he and needs he also, a lot of work. He he also watched, and this is not just Kenneth Murray. All the guy they also they watch the quarterback too much. I mean, they just key in on the quarterback. I mean, you have to use your peripheral vision. I know to see the receivers, but also when you're dropping eight guys, there's only four, maybe five receivers out there, and you have to know where everybody else is on your defense to know where you're going to have help and realize. What which whichever side of the field you're on, if there's only two guys on your side of the field, or maybe even three guys, be smart and like, okay, this is like the only guy, or there's only two guys on my side of the field. If he goes deeper than me, okay, I got another safety behind me, that's fine. But if he's the only guy on your side of the field and he's going deeper than you, sync with him to help out your other guy back there because if he gets in that hole between you and the deep safety, he could be open. Or if a guy's underneath, like, I think you're exactly right. Their, their anticipation for where certain routes are going to go is really bad. It, it's really, really, really bad. And opposing offenses are seeing that. It's incredibly easy to throw against the eight drop eight man. So back to the, the, the you know, talking about dropping eight guys. Actually, Oklahoma didn't do it a whole lot on Saturday. Believe it or not, I actually went back and charted every defensive play. Oklahoma on Saturday only dropped eight guys into coverage Six times, Grant. Isn't that shocking? I, I would have guessed it was twenty times. Yeah, it was only that, six times. That does shock me. But the re, but but the reason why it it seems like they did it a bunch is because Oklahoma State had tons of success when Oklahoma dropped eight guys. So I'll, I'll go into more details on that later. But the most infamous time Oklahoma dropped eight was on fourth and twelve when Oklahoma needed you prevent Oklahoma State from getting twelve yards and the game is over. And what happened on the play? Oklahoma State threw a twenty. Four 25-yard touchdown, 24-yard touchdown to Tylen Wallace. And so Lincoln Riley was asked about defending that fourth down play after the game, and, and here's what he said. The fourth down play, uh, you know, we decided to, to play some loose zone there. Um, you know, and, and, and the thought was we felt like we could get some pressure um, just with our rush. Our guys have been winning one-on-one. -on -one. And more than anything, we wanted to make them, if they were going to, 
if they were going to get one there, we wanted, didn't want it to be a one-on-one shot, you know, to one of their guys. You know, we wanted to make him a t- make him make a tough throw in a window. And I mean, give the guy credit. I mean, they did. We came out of a zone just a little bit more. I thought we could have squeezed it better, but I mean, they made a great play, and uh, you know, so they had a good route dialed up against what we had called. You know, made an extremely good throw and a very competitive catch. So, okay, so. The, the, the first thing that jumps out to me is we thought we could get some pressure with three. What, why? What makes you think you can get pressure with three? And who was out there at that time? Wasn't, wasn't Fama two out there at that time? I mean, that guy is a, that guy is. I, that's a good question. I can't remember. It would, it would have been, it would have been, right? It would have been, you know, Fama Tau or, or Overton. And I, you know, I, both of which are not pass rushing threats whatsoever. Um, you guys know me. I mean, I'm I'm skeptical of of Kenneth Mann as a pass rusher. I think that's it's kind of being proven this year with you know not having Oboe on the other side. Kenneth Mann is is generally struggling to get into the backfield a lot. You know, I I don't they well, uh, they they, uh, they, they yeah. struggle getting pressure with four. I, I just I it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. And then also go back to say you know they wanted to drop into a zone. Um, and you wanted to try to beat Oklahoma State doing that, doing the exact same thing you've done the entire game, which has allowed Taylor Cornelius or Taylor Cornelius to throw for 500 yards. Can you? Yeah, that. Yeah, come that's, on, that's guys. actually. Like, come yeah, that's on. more troubling. Actually, yeah, the the thought is, oh, we we thought we'd have the best chance of stopping that, dropping into a zone, dropping eight. I don't know what it's going to have to take, Grant, for for this team to realize that dropping eight is. A horrible decision. Uh, here are the numbers from Saturday. When Oklahoma dropped eight, like I told you earlier, it was only it was six plays. That's it. Oklahoma State, uh, Taylor Cornelius was four for five throwing for 80 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, that last touchdown to Tyler Wallace. And the sixth play was one, one run play to, to Chuba Hubbard that went for the 10-yard touchdown run in the first half right before halftime when Oklahoma State drove down and scored in what seemed like 10 seconds and the only time it it didn't work the only time that Oklahoma State was unsuccessful on a play when Oklahoma dropped eight guys Tylen Wallace dropped the ball it would have been 20 yards so Oklahoma State should have had uh should have been five for five for 100 yards and a touchdown one rush for 10 yards so Oklahoma State should have had I mean, they had they had ninety total yards and two touchdowns when Oklahoma dropped eight. Should have had one hundred and ten total yards, two touchdowns, and a successful play every single time. I, that I don't know what's going to have to take for Oklahoma's defensive coaches to be like, yeah, we we got to stop dropping eight. This is not working. And this, I just this is not working. I just the the constant refusal to to put this defense in, in a position to succeed is just baffling to me. Anybody who has watched this defense this season knows. That in the rare occasions, Lee, when they have had success, it is when they're playing man coverage on the outside and they're sending pressure, getting after the quarterback. That's when this defense has had success this year, and they just they don't do it a lot. And, and it's it's getting to the point where it's it, it's pretty frustrating. They they don't they're 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 awful at playing zone, so that's not really something they can go to. Yet they've they've tried to go to it more often. They can't get they can't get pressure rushing three or rushing four a vast majority of the time. They just they they wanted to go the the simple approach I, I thought was was something that they did need to do, but it's it's getting to the point where you know good teams good offenses are are figuring it out and they're just so they're so predictable and it's it's 
you know, when you give when you give other offenses, good offenses in the Big Twelve, a lot of space to operate, this is what happens. And it's just Taylor Cornelius is is not a good quarterback when he is under pressure. And your game plan coming into this game was not to put him under pressure. It it just it makes no sense to me whatsoever. None. Yeah. There was a moment too, and you mentioned like when Oklahoma is successful covering is when they play kind of that man. And I, there was a moment, too, in the game where I, I noticed Oklahoma actually did something different. Uh, on a third down play, they came out showing their kind of too high, too high safety look. And then before the snap, Jordan Parker came all the way over to the, the wide side of the formation and covered up a receiver. And they were showing man. And they're playing single high with one single high safety man coverage across the board. And... Taylor Cornelius threw a slant, I believe, to Dylan Stoner. I can't remember who it was. And Jordan Parker was right there, right when he caught the ball, made the tackle, and stopped him short of the first down. And if they wouldn't have adjusted and been in that single high, and they and they just would have had the two safeties there, and their their same setup with I think they had either Trey Norwood or Motley over there as a corner, and then maybe you know a linebacker coming out into the flats, that would have been a first down. I mean, they would have thrown that pass because I think Cornelius. He saw that. He wanted to do that before Parker moved over to play man, and he still did the same thing. But by playing man coverage, it took that first down opportunity away. And yet, we still don't see that as much as we'd like. Uh, Oklahoma is afraid to challenge their secondary players to play man coverage. And you think, well, of course they are because Oklahoma's secondary is struggling big time. Well, maybe they're struggling big time because you're putting them in weird spots, and they're actually better sometimes if they play man coverage. And that specific spot, Oklahoma was better, and and Jordan Parker made a nice play. Do you remember that play? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that was a good. I play. mean, that was, and we we saw. I think I saw them go back to that maybe one other time in the game, and I can't remember what happened on the play. I, I think it was something. I don't know what something happened, but uh, again, I know, man, we're we're talking way more about the defense than I actually thought we would because I kind of thought we'd just you know what, forget it. The defense isn't good. Move on. Um, but man, it's just. You know what's even more maddening about that fourth down and 12 drop eight play is that it was fourth down and seven and they came out man across the board playing tight coverage and the the ball was even snapped because uh, remember there, you know, there was the false start penalty, but the ball got snapped and you kind of saw what Oklahoma was doing and Oklahoma wasn't blitzing. They actually were dropping Bolton and Murray and, and when I say dropping, they weren't dropping into pass coverage. I think they were both – one guy was spying the quarterback, one guy was on the running back in the backfield, and they were kind of waiting for, you know, whichever one would go out. But they were playing man coverage, and obviously the play, you know, Taylor Cornelius, like, heard the whistle, and, like, they threw the ball, and it didn't, didn't happen. But we saw what Oklahoma's defense was doing when it was fourth and seven, and that was the right call. That was the right defensive game plan. And I was thinking, okay, great. You back it up to fourth and twelve. You're thinking, oh, it's even more difficult now for Oklahoma State. Fourth and twelve. Now they got to go get twelve yards, and they decide to rush three and play a super soft zone and drop eight. And they played right. It, the false start penalty actually helped Oklahoma State, which is just so stupid, so stupid. <laughs> I could I could not believe it. I I texted you when that happened, and I. I can't say what I texted you on the podcast, but it was I was very unhappy that Oklahoma decided to drop eight. Let's put it that way. Let's move on. Okay. To the offense? Sure. Why not? Offense was awesome again. Had some lulls at times, but... Yeah, I'm starting to think. I, I was 
I did have some thoughts about the offense, but then I, I started to think, I mean, what, OU ran like 80-some-odd plays in that game, and is, is this just one of those things where they, they ran into lulls that pretty much every offense and every game runs into? They're just magnified by the awful defense? I think and, that's part of it, and it's just sometimes you, you can tell that Lincoln Riley might, he kind of maybe loses a feel for the game a little bit, and which is, he's human, that's totally understandable, but it's so much more difficult for him because he has to be on every single series every single snap he has to be on because one mistake it would seem like could cost Oklahoma the game because the defense is so bad and that's so much pressure to put on a guy who also has to be mindful of everything else because he's the head coach he's head head coach he has to know everything else going on plus he's calling plays so I guess that's like why I'm a little more forgiving when it comes to Lincoln Riley because he is so good he he's an offensive genius and there's so much pressure on him to make the right play call like every single snap so Yes, the offense has lulls, and yes, he acknowledged that the the end of the half sequence when Kyler Murray ran and then the t- clock ran out. You know, Kyler was trying to be a little too aggressive, and you know, once again, they they didn't. You know, th- there wasn't the greatest series, and they've had troubles. And he even was asked after the game, like, hey, I know it sounds crazy because of how many yards you guys are racking up and how many points you're scoring, but you know, you mentioned that at times you weren't able to separate yet again because Lincoln Riley talks about separating from the opponent. You know, is, is it is it weird to ask you that, you know, does the offense need to get better? And, and to Riley's credit, I love it. He's like, no, no, it's it's not weird to ask that. Yeah, we, we do have to get better. And that's just Alabama's offense. I'm sure their offensive coordinator, Nick Saban, like, oh, yeah, we got to get better. But you know what? The, the, the truth is Alabama's offense doesn't really need to get better because the defense is so freaking good. The Alabama's offense is fine, but Oklahoma's offense actually does need to be better because of the, the such a, a, a slim a slim margin of error because of the how bad the defense is and it's just I, I so I guess that's again that's why I, I I forgive Riley a little bit more for certain play calls in certain situations because you know what it's it's really difficult to be really good on offense every single play I I agree and it, 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 it seems like, I mean, this is now, this is sort of a trend now. One with the end of half struggles with the time and clock management. I think Riley has, has shown, you know, a, a propensity to struggle with that. And at the same time, I mean, this is, again, a, another kind of uneven third quarter where the offense did have a chance to separate. The defense I, forced a three and out in the third quarter. I think Oklahoma State's, didn't they go three and out to start the, uh, to start the half? And... Uh, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Um, and the offense wasn't able to, you know, take advantage of that. And I think it's pretty easy to point to now when Riley is in the mindset that the offense needs to separate, needs to, uh, you know, help the team separate. He gets greedy with the downfield shots, you know, even when his offensive line is just dominating. And I, I think it's really going to take some, um, just a, a, a lot of thinking on his part. And just uh, you know, a lot of meditation on the fact. I, I the words are escaping me right now. They need to just they need to keep running the ball, Lee, because in the Big Twelve, there's there's no one who can deal with their offensive line when they're running the ball like they are. And and it's I I know it's easy to say in hindsight, but if they just would have kept the ball on the ground in that third quarter, Lee, the offense would have separated from this game. They, they would have. They they get way too greedy with downfield shots sometimes. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are some instances in the game, and it didn't happen a lot, but, I mean, one possession comes to mind after they got uh, after Oklahoma State's touchdown to make it 35-34. Uh, 
that next series, Oklahoma ran the ball and, and, and picked up yards, but then a, a holding penalty by Bobby Evans put him behind schedule. And it seems like whenever they get a little bit more, there's sometimes, not all the time, when they, it's kind of predictable they're going to run, then teams can stop it. Because after that, I mean, Kyler Murray threw incomplete to Trey Sermon, and then he ran the ball on second and 20 and lost a yard. And then you know, that was a terrible possession. And, and it was like, oh, no, Oklahoma State's getting the ball back up by a point. And to Oklahoma's defensive, defense's credit, they actually got Oklahoma State off the field. Um, and that, when it was 35-34 and the big play in the drive was a, a Curtis Bolton sack that was a massive play at the time when they, they did their dime package blitz and nobody blocked Curtis Bolton, and it seemed like he snapped, he sacked Taylor Cornelius immediately. That's what aggressiveness uh, can do for you, by the way. You know, not it, it for, aggressiveness like that forces the offense to be perfect and they're, uh, you know, it, and disciplined. It, it makes them call out everybody knowing, hey, this guy's coming, I have this guy, I have this guy. When you're aggressive like that, that can cause confusion and it can generate negative plays like that. This is what we want to see more of, and it's, it's what I don't understand. So, yeah, credit to the defense getting them off the field there when Oklahoma was down by a point. As we continue more with the offense to that, the next possession when Oklahoma got the ball back down by one, OU was in a, a pretty bad spot, Grant, third and 11 from their own 26-yard line, thinking, oh, my gosh, they cannot move the ball right now. And Kyler, little crossing route to Marquise Brown, and Marquise Brown makes a tremendous individual play getting away from not one but two tacklers, picking up the first down and 25 yards. And then two plays later, Murray finds him on the shot play deep down inside the red zone. And then Kennedy Brooks at the end is able to close the drive off uh, on the last play of the third quarter to put Oklahoma back up in front. I mean, Marquise Brown was tremendous. He looks a little bit more healthy now. I don't think he's 100% yet, uh, but he's, he's darn close. And so just wanted to point out Marquise Brown's tremendous plays uh, – in that sequence and then not to mention the the long touchdown pass in the first half uh, something that we just have have not seen a lot in the last month yeah yeah that was that was obviously good to see again and then of course I I you know that the one drive I think that was in the was it in the fourth quarter no it might have yeah it was in the fourth quarter the one that was they, they missed the the face mask on Kennedy Brooks on one play and then the next play uh, Brooks's like 35 yard run was negated by just a phantom holding call on Cody Ford. That was a really frustrating drive. So that was um, the drive after Oklahoma State answered answered that Kennedy Brooks touchdown and and made the, the game 41-41 and Amendola missed the extra point and so it was tied. So that the very next drive was whenever yeah, the, the those sequences those events just happened that you just described. And that was frustrating of course, but yeah. you know, it, yeah, Cody Ford got Let's just say he got screwed. He did not hold, and that totally killed that drive. Which, yeah, yeah. and was they, you know, they they won the game though. So you know, other than that, I'm trying to think of other things that I can gripe with the offense. I thought if if I'm remembering correctly, I think I think Oklahoma State had three sacks, and I'm pretty sure all of them were on Kyler. If I if I recall, so oh, I don't know if I would say that. Sometimes they just dialed up some okay stuff, and I mean, there was one time early in the game when they dialed up really nice blitz. And it was actually, I think it was the field goal drive that Kyler was able to get away from it and dump it off to Trey Sermon. And Sermon oh. was able to get inside the five. I mean, that was a great play that by was Kyler. A great play. To, yeah. And also by Sermon, because I think Sermon caught that with, with one hand. And uh, I mean, I think that was just a nice blitz by a nice dial up by Jim Knowles. But Oklahoma was better. Uh, granted, Oklahoma State still held the Sooners to a field goal, but still it was a nice play. I. I I guess I didn't watch it close enough to say with a lot of confidence that they're all on Kyler, but 
Sure, yeah. I mean, I guess if you want to nitpick and say things, yeah. I mean, he got sacked, I think, more against Oklahoma State than he kind of has in other games. But coming in, you've said that Oklahoma State's the maybe the best team in college football and getting, getting sacks or something, right? Yeah, they led the country in sacks. So, I mean, they're going to get theirs. They, they practice, too. I mean, that's an aggressive team. Let's see. Anything? I know God, our, our offensive talk is just so short. Do you want to do three-word reviews? Yeah, we can go to that. All right, tons of three-word reviews coming in on Facebook on Facebook and on Twitter. I love it. I love this so much. Uh, let's start on – actually, let's start with our own. Grant, uh, I'll let you start. Do you have your three-word review for the Bedlam game? You go first. All right, so my three-word review is I put this on Twitter to kind of get the ball rolling on Saturday night is thank you, Taylor. And that's in reference to the two-point try, which actually we haven't even discussed yet. And you thought, oh, why didn't you discuss the two-point conversion play in the defensive talk and talking about you know positive defensive things? Well, it's because that was much more on Oklahoma State not executing the two-point conversion play than Oklahoma's defense actually defending it well. On that play, it was incredibly simple. It was a very simple concept. Except Taylor Cornelius just – he made a Hall of Fame bad throw, in my opinion. Uh, he threw it five yards behind Tylen Wallace. He threw it five yards behind him. And if you go and you look at that screenshot I put on Facebook and also on Twitter, there's nobody out there in front of Tylen Wallace. Just throw it out for Tylen Wallace, let him run underneath it, and make a play. Uh, there's no defenders out there. There's plenty of end zone. They were on the left hash going right, so they, they were going to the field side of it, so they had plenty of space. And Cornelius just he short-armed it in a way and Trey Brown came in he Trey Brown had a better chance to catch the ball than Tylen Wallace and of course Trey Brown he didn't catch it uh, there was another play earlier in the game where he 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 just he I think there was another play or maybe it was I mean Buki kind of dropped a potential interception could have been a pick six uh, so the these guys are these guys in secondary just can't catch apparently now it's I, you know, I had a theory that maybe when the scheme changed a little bit, they'd be more aggressive. They'd make some more plays. I'm not so sure the scheme has changed that much, but that my theory is dead. Uh, that's not happening. But anyways, my, my three-word review is thank you, Taylor, because if he makes a good throw there, Oklahoma probably loses the game. Sure, they Oklahoma gets the ball back with a minute to play. I think to know you have all their timeouts left. I think Oklahoma might have had all, or at least two timeouts. They had two timeouts left. I I mean so they, yeah, they, I mean maybe they drive down and, and kick a field goal, but you know it's like and, and to Austin Seibert's credit, he had made a couple of field goals. But still, I mean Oklahoma State would have been. I think Oklahoma State probably wins that game. I I, I guess we don't know, but that effectively ended the game because of the bad throw. Uh, do you want to comment on that throw at all oh, before we get to the three word reviews? No, I mean I thought it was just a bad throw. I, I there's right. not. I thought it was the. I thought it was the right call. I thought it was a good play call. Um, so I did too. I, I mean, and it was very simple, but it was a, a simple just let's let's roll. And what it did is they put Tylen Wallace in motion, which identified Oklahoma was in man coverage because Trey Brown followed him over. But Trey Brown was so like he was still way far off the line of scrimmage. I mean, there was way too much cushion, and that's why it was a good play call because Oklahoma doesn't seem to really play tight coverage. And as how good Tylen Wallace is, I mean, that's an I mean that's all, that's an indefensible play if you throw the ball in the right spot. Taylor Cornelius did not throw the ball in the right spot. Yeah, and so I mean it's it's a good thing that happened, but I think every everyone knew that Oklahoma State was going to go for two there. I mean it would have been Mike Gundy would have been just a massive fool not to. Yeah, um, yeah, 
he made the right call, obviously. And it was a good play call. It just wasn't executed properly. Lee, my three-road review, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to to sort of to word this one, so I'll just go with this. Everything's still ahead, as in everything is still ahead of them that they want to accomplish. Um, it's just it's it's going to certainly be interesting about you know how they plan to accomplish that, which is now I mean, picturing this team winning in Morgantown is getting just much much harder by the day or by the week. Um, just kinda, yeah, I just but hey Oklahoma doesn't lose doesn't lose true road games though they so they don't good. but I mean eventually that that streak's going to come to an end and I don't know I'm praying for. Uh, if, if if you remember a couple years ago when they played in Morgantown, it was the the first half of that game was was played in kind of a driving snowstorm. Um, I'm I'm hoping that happens again because I I mean that that would greatly favor Oklahoma and Morgantown if that were to happen. But I just if Will if if Will Greer was going against that defense yesterday, Lee, I I don't I don't know if OU gets any stops in that game. It, it seemed a lot of the time it was Oklahoma State just kind of shooting themselves in the foot is what got them off the field. But Yeah, I actually charted, too, all of Cornelius's throws. And I thought he had a lot more bad throws just on the first watch, like just watching the game as it was live. When I went back, he didn't have as many bad throws on the day as I thought. I, I only counted three truly bad throws, and he threw the ball like 50-plus times. And that's including the the last incomplete pass. Uh, he was to Taylor Cornelius's credit. He was plagued by drops. I mean, yeah, Oklahoma that's State, what I meant. The drops. Oklahoma State dropped five passes. And I think Tylen Wallace had two or three of them. So I mean, that I mean that to Taylor Cornelius's credit, he his guys didn't help him out five different times. Yeah, they had, they had quite a bit of drops. It seemed like on those on the little the the ten yard outs they would run when OU would give them a lot of cushion over there. <laughs> yeah, that, oh, they just kept. And there was one time in the game, actually, the very first play of the second half, Trey Brown made a very nice break on an in route and almost, well, he should have picked it off, but he dropped it. But it wouldn't have mattered anyways because Amani Bledsoe got called for a, a legal hands to the face on that play, which negated the play anyways. But no, had, that was the play that Ronnie Perkins tipped it. No, no, that was that was actually like two or three plays later. Oh, sorry. Oh, you're talking about different plays. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the very first play of the second half, uh, Trey Brown made a really nice break on the oh, ball. Okay, yeah, I remember that now. And didn't pick it off, but it didn't matter because there was a flag. But a couple plays later, uh, yeah, Perkins tipped it. But if he wouldn't have tipped it, it would have gone right to Trey Brown, which mm -hmm. I, evidence suggests that he still would not have caught it because <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just these guys are not catching interceptions. It's it's a really bad look. <laughs> it's a really bad look. Sure. And, and then just, you know, one more time to go back to my three word review, um, you know, they're, you know, very likely to get their 10th win of the season next week against Kansas at home. And then they're going to be 10 and one with, with a chance to clinch their spot in the Big 12 championship game going to Morgantown with, you know, with still hoping that Michigan and Notre Dame will drop a game. And I think they'd probably still be in pretty good shape if that were to happen. So it's I just, a week to week thing. It's a week to week thing. I, I we'll see. Uh, it's the offense is is historically good once again, but man, is this defense terrible? It's just so so bad. Wow, it's just hey deja vu again. <laughs> More three word reviews. Our cousin James has a three word review, which it's on the it's on uh, kind of similar to mine. Lead your receiver. I like that one. Ryan, friend of the pod, Ryan, a guy I work with. 
Really poor football. <laughs> Kevin on Twitter. This is all from Twitter, by the way. Kevin picking on the secondary. Kevin's three-word review is too much space. Can't argue with that. Daniel, uh, family, family member Daniel, uh, Oklahoma State guy, went to OSU. His three-word review is appropriate for that game. It is, what is defense? That's a, uh, it's a good question. I have no idea. <laughs> and there's not even a question mark on it, which actually makes it more appropriate because it's just, it's baffling everywhere. Perch says, and this is appropriate as well. These are all really good people. I got to say, I got to give everyone credit. It was Bedlam. True. Sooner Terry. Survive in advance. True. Nathan, looking ahead a couple weeks, Nathan says, WVU is scary. Ugh. Yes, the Mountaineers certainly are. Uh, Billy his three-word review, same old defense. True. Gus's three-word review, <laughs> Big 12 sucks. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, and uh, the last one on Twitter, I, I really like this one because it's kind of creative. Thomas says, um, well, yeah. <laughs> I think that just, one's. I think that one's pretty apt. That's probably the most accurate one so far. <laughs> what, what else? What else can you say about the game? I mean, that's it's what it was. It was just. I mean, that's it. It was just back to back, just garbage football games that Oklahoma has been involved Ugh. in. Just, I mean, isn't that that's that's pretty discouraging? I think they've played. Oh. They've. It's it's November typically when they're when you know they're peaking, which is which has definitely been the case the last three seasons. They've played. They've played two of their worst games of the season back to back. I mean, it's Ugh. which is it's disappointing least, to say the least. At least Oklahoma has won them both. I suppose. Yeah. Look at I the mean, bright side. Yeah. At the same time, you got to give them credit for. I mean, that's that's four games now, or I mean, they've or is it three games now that that have been really close that they've pulled out in the end? So, yeah. Three out of four. Yeah. Let's go to Facebook for more three-word reviews. Our aunt with one chiming in. Um, she says, what a game. <laughs> always with a positive spin on everything. Uh, Benjamin. Benjamin always with a, a lot of comments and messages on Facebook. We appreciate Benjamin's input. <laughs> His three-word review is, our defense sucks. <laughs> that is accurate. Uh, Doug with his three-word review on Facebook, need better recruits. Uh, Doug, did, did you get that one from Mike Stoops? It seems like something Mike Stoops would say. That's something he's been pushing the last couple of years. Uh, Steven doesn't even need three three words. He just he only needs two words. He goes with need defense. <laughs> hmm. uh, so, yeah, being very efficient with his review, Steven is. Jamar on Facebook, defense is trash, and trash is all caps. Ray with a similar, similar three-word review, defense is atrocious with all the exclamation points. Uh, I, I don't know if JC is kind of just having fun with this one or if he's serious. Uh, it doesn't really matter. JC says, fire Ruffin McNeil. I don't know if that's a play on fire Mike Stoops or, I mean, has uh, Ryan, we talked about Ryan a moment ago on Twitter. He tweeted at me uh, during the game. Has has an interim defensive coordinator ever been fired during the season? Ooh, that's a good question. That'd be, I, that'd be an interesting one to look up, I think. That would be, that would be. 
Uh, there's still more on Facebook. I, again, thanks. You guys are great. These three-word reviews have been fantastic. Monty says, can't stop, pass. That is 100% true. Warren, squandering historic offense. And then in back-to-back -back seasons. Yep. And in parentheses, Warren put again. Warren, 100% correct. Sydney, and also a friend of the pod, Sydney, with a lot of input normally. Thank you, Sydney. Sydney says, Ed, very apt. This can't continue. Uh, Philip also, uh, Philip also with lots of contributions to the podcast. He, uh, his three word review is, We want Bama. <laughs> and then in parentheses, he says, Final score 67 63, highest scoring title game ever, lol. You know what? If they were able to put up 60, uh, 67 or 63, I'm not sure if you have Oklahoma winning that game, Philip. Then you know what? Sure, bring it on. I was actually, I was actually thinking, going over in my head like yesterday morning, in in what conceivable fashion could they beat a team like Alabama? And I, I concluded it would have to be like a, like a 49 to 45 type game where, I don't know, maybe OU's defense can force like a punt or two. And then I don't know, maybe maybe force <laughs> like seriously force um, some turnovers once Alabama gets in the red zone because I mean I mean Bama would go just up and down the field with really not a lot of resistance um, and obviously the the offense would have to have to have just a, a historically efficient and and great night. It has to be like the first half of the Rose Bowl, but not just the first half for four full quarters. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it would I mean, be that's, yeah. I, I I think it would be Kyler Murray and Marquise Brown and CeeDee Lamb just making NFL plays over and over again. I, I think would be the and I think the the offensive line is 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 the best in America. So I think they would they would maybe be able to run the ball a little bit, but God, I just they would they would really need Rodney Anderson. I digress, obviously, but Yeah. Oh, but by the way, uh, Kennedy Brooks was great against Oklahoma State. Didn't mention him at all. He was, yes. And uh, and and Trey, I mean, so was Trey Sermon. I know he got nicked up a bit, but he's fine. And how about that? T.J. Pledger wasn't available. Did you hear that in the broadcast? Is yeah. T.J. Pledger was. So they had literally had two running backs. Oh my gosh, the running back room is is getting really thin. I and I I don't believe Riley commented on Pledger after the game, so I don't know what's going on there. I gotta say, uh, kind of just like nicks and like nick ups and nagging injuries have have seemingly been an issue this year. And if you if you paid attention to anybody who uh, who had something to say about this when Benny Wiley was hired from when he was at Texas, there was a lot of Texas people who were out there saying uh, there was they had some injury problems when he was at Texas. So hey, yeah, I, yeah. I don't I don't know that one's that that higher. I think is the the jury is still out on that one. I'm. I always struggle with with that though. It's like how much can you attribute to? I know it. The logic makes sense because that's strength and conditioning, and you're just putting the guys in shape. But how much of injuries are just bad luck? Yeah, I. I mean, I suppose if it if it if it if it's true and it did happen like that a lot of Texas in his years there, and it continues to happen in Oklahoma, I suppose that's two times with the same guy. So maybe you could deliver some conclusions. But yeah, I. I see what you mean. I just I, I struggle with that sometimes. Yeah, I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility <laughs> that there's this might you know not every decision this this program makes you know may not be the greatest decision ever in the history of mankind. But man, he's such a cool guy, and he, every time I watch his Instagram stories, I want to just go do a thousand push-ups, which yeah, same is impossible because 
I, I could not do a thousand push-ups, nor could I do probably like 50 straight push-ups. All right. Uh, we still have more three-word reviews. Devin says simply, I like it. All right. I, I like wins. I, I like being nine and one yeah. with, you know, in, in all major likelihood being 10 and one a, a week from now with, I mean, 10 win seasons are good. It's, it's, you're right. I mean, it's, it's the height of, uh, of maybe being spoiled that we get to complain about stuff like this. And in especially, yeah, and in a, especially in a weird college football season when you're nine and one and the sixth ranked team in the country, but yeah, no, like that's, that's always a good point. Uh, let me get through these. You know, I'll, I'll comment real quick. We are spoiled. I mean, think about it. If, if Oklahoma state wins that game, obviously they, they're not in the title hunt, but I mean, their fans are so jacked and excited and, you know, beat Oklahoma doesn't happen a whole lot. Ruin, ruin Oklahoma season, blah, blah, blah. It's like Oklahoma wins the game and, and you and I, like any other fan base, like, oh yeah, cool win. But it's like, uh, yeah, Oklahoma, we're not really that concerned about Bedlam wins. We're more concerned about winning national titles. And so that's, that's the downside to having high standards. I suppose you can't, you can't really enjoy these big wins as much. And I know that Oklahoma does within the team. They do, and good on them. They need to. They're the ones getting the wins themselves, and the coaches are the ones coaching them up. They deserve it. But as viewers and as fans and supporters, I think it's. I think we, we're allowed to sit back and kind of be more realistic with it. So I just wanted to throw that out there. That's, kind of, that's the downside of having high standards and, and liking a football team like Oklahoma. Yeah, Lee, there's, a, there's an OU commentator slash analyst who I really respect. I really think he's got some good thoughts about the team. Alan Kinney over at Blatant Homerism is his blog. He's a huge proponent of, of preaching that it's, it's foolish to, uh, to be a fan of college football all for national championships. And I think this season is a uh, is is a notch in in his column for that reasoning. I think where seasons yeah, seasons sure. like this can drive you crazy when when all you care about is national championships. And uh, I don't know, he's got a point there, especially when a vast majority of the time you're not even going to compete for a national championship, much less win it. And man, since since 2000, Lee, the the amount of times that OU has been in this position this late in the season has been pretty uncommon. Uh, it's it's been a lot, relatively speaking. So, um, uh, it's just we're we're, yeah. we're a spoiled and that, fan and base, and and you know what? And Alabama is the most spoiled fan base probably in the history of this sport. It, un, un, you know, in that with that logic. All right, so I want to talk about Alabama at at the very end of the show. Let's get through these last three word reviews. Remind me if I forget. Okay, so uh, we have three left. Hunter could be worse. True, he's right. Uh, Michael says, three-word review, what the heck? And uh, potentially my favorite one <laughs> of all of them. And again, these are all really good. Mark on Facebook, corndog for Heisman? <laughs> the, the, the corndog nickname cracks me up. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, it's Taylor Cornelius' nickname. Uh, it, it was corndog, and then for like a minute, it was just corn, which was weird to me. I whatever the fact that he kind of allows people to call him that says a lot about him he's just a really nice dude that is having a pretty good year in his one year of starting college football and he lit up Oklahoma and he he was almost a bedlam hero so good on Taylor Cornelius uh, I gave him a lot of crap for the the last throw but I thought he was on point with his ball location 
And I know he only completed like six, not only, I mean, he completed like 63% of his passes, but his ball location, honestly, for the most part, I think it was on point, even though passes were incomplete, like 85 to 90% of the time on Saturday. I mean, he was right there, but his last throw was within those, that last 10 to 15%. And it was, it was probably his worst throw of the day, uh, especially given the circumstances. So, but credit to him, he had a really good game. Uh, so, okay, the last thing I want to talk about before we go is Alabama. So I was thinking about this on Saturday, Grant, and I want to get your thoughts on this. So even though we are frustrated and, and get mad about the defense and we just we know that if Oklahoma's defense was just average, the Sooners could potentially be a, a big-time national title contender, not just this season but last season too. The fact that Oklahoma, though, is incredibly interesting, like we have all this stuff to talk about, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is week to week. We – we know what we're going to get. The defense is going to be bad. But, hey, you know, maybe maybe the defense will be good one time randomly. You know, who knows? Maybe we'll be surprised. We got that, so it's it's a lot to talk about. On the flip side, this season you have Alabama where, and not just this season, I suppose. You could say every season because their standards are incredibly high. But especially this season because the offense for Alabama is so awesome. Alabama fans, I mean, it's obviously national title or bust. How excited does Alabama fans even get for these games against? I mean, LSU, they probably got excited for that one because it's a big game against LSU, and Alabama fans probably knew they hadn't seen a, a really good defense like that yet. But you go against Mississippi State at home, and you know Mississippi State's offense is just atrocious. And I know that LSU's offense, you say, is really bad, and LSU, notch in your belt because LSU scored, what, 24 against Arkansas? Yeah, average. Arkansas's terrible. A- average under five yards per play against Arkansas, too. So yeah, I mean, you're you and a lot of people's theories about LSU being more of a more of a Florida. You know, it's getting a little bit more. Oh, LSU is so a, LSU is absolutely a fluke team this year. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I I can't. I mean, I can't really argue with you that. With I can't really argue with you anymore on that one. Um, so, anyways, so but like Mississippi State getting. I mean, Alabama fans like do they even really get that excited? Like, is it in a weird way? Is it almost better to be on our side where we're like. It's always interesting. Sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. Like, who, who knows? If Oklahoma gets a chance, maybe they'll play in the playoff where it's like Alabama. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's almost like UConn women's basketball. Like, eh, yep, we're going to be in the national title game every year. Like, okay. I bet they get like, I, I bet they get super pumped when they're in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, they won the national title last year on a walk-off bomb. Yeah, like, that's true. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that probably caused quite a bit of excitement for yeah, them. Yeah, I know. You're right. It's just... Uh, so so maybe my maybe my my thoughts and theories is it's probably dumb, but it's but just, no, I, mean, I I know what you mean when when you know when you know that the other team like honestly and truthfully does not pose any sort of threat to beating you, how you know that drama isn't there and how is it even fun watching it? I I understand where you're coming from, yeah. And and if they lose, which again, you're devastated. I mean, they yeah, like you're even more devastated than we would be because. If Oklahoma loses, for the mo- it's most part, it's like, yeah, well, they their defense is freaking terrible. Yeah, but even if they do lose, they can go back and watch any number of five national titles they've won in the last nine years. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I know. I just, it, it, back-to-back weeks, Grant, and I know these offenses aren't Texas Tech and uh, Oklahoma State, but Alabama against ranked teams back-to-back has allowed literally zero points. Yeah, no, uh, must I saw, be nice. I, I saw a must tweet. Be nice. I saw a tweet earlier that said it's pretty funny that uh, 
That was probably Alabama's worst game of the season, and they beat a ranked team twenty-four to nothing. Yeah, just that's that's crazy, and it's annoying because Alabama. I had Alabama minus twenty-four and the hook and the half, and they could not freaking cover. And they had the ball down near the goal line at the end of the game, and I didn't see what happened. I don't know if they went for it and got stuffed or what. Uh, it, I mean, Tua didn't play. I think the last didn't he didn't play in the second half. I don't believe because of the the knee thing, and which that hurt. So I was really annoyed that Bama couldn't cover that spread because I was really I was really confident in that one, even though it was so high. Because I just and what, what did we say last week, Grant? If Alabama wants to shut out Mississippi State, Alabama's going to shut out Mississippi State. That's well, that's pretty much how it went too. So like I, there were some people out there that were that were kind of jumping on Mississippi State and that uh, defense is really good. But it's like I, I, I'll put you in. The, I'll put those people in the same category as the people that were jumping on Florida State a couple weeks ago against Clemson. Like oh, Clemson's going to play him tough, or Florida State's going to play Clemson tough. Like y'all are idiots, absolute idiots. And uh, it was really annoying too that Clemson didn't cover the twenty point spread. And the only reason why is because. Uh, Boston College got a random special teams touchdown but other than that Boston College didn't score because Clemson's defense is awesome so did you see this is this is totally out of left field but slightly hilarious did you see that Pitt averaged 13.9 yards per play against Virginia Tech no I didn't I saw that they won by a lot 47 plays for 654 yards holy cow way to way to go Virginia Tech and I know this is the point of the show on when we record after the games where we just kind of ramble. It kind of makes me think of think back to week one, Grant, like all the games that are really exciting and important in week one. But then you look back and are like, oh, my God, like what a useless game. Vatek, Florida State. Think back to that. I think that was two ranked teams at the time. Goodness gracious. Two really bad football teams. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're yeah. they're awful football teams. Uh, I mean, and like, I mean, you and I were on Florida State being bad, but. Nobody probably thought what uh, Vatek would be this bad because you know Bud Foster. That defense is always really good. Uh, no, not this year. And then the other one that comes to mind: Washington and Auburn. Remember how big that game was, and it was. But man, I mean, two. I think are they both those teams out of the top twenty-five now. Uh, uh yeah, think, no, I think Washington is like number twenty-five, but Auburn's out. I think. And I mean, another game I was really confident in Saturday was Georgia covering against Auburn, and I know it was a little close, but. But Georgia pulled it off. I know Auburn scored a touchdown, took the lead early on like a trick play. But Georgia, you know, righted the ship. I mean, right now in college football, it's basically it's Bama, Clemson, Michigan, Georgia. And who am I missing? There's a fifth team in there. I'm missing Notre somebody. Dame. Oh, Notre Dame. So- sorry, Notre Dame. Uh, and not surprisingly, also, Notre Dame took care of business, even with Brandon Wimbush at quarterback and blew out Florida State because, again, Florida State is a terrible team. And uh, I just kind of had a feeling that even with Wimbush in there, he would be thinking like, oh, I'm getting a chance to play again. This is cool. It was like senior day. And like, I think he played pretty well. I didn't get a chance to watch the game that closely, but the final score was pretty dominant for Notre Dame. So this the next week will be the game. Notre Dame might be able to lose. It's If they're going to lose, it's going to be against Syracuse. Yeah, Syracuse they, can put up points. They do go on the road to USC, which I can't to end the season. I, S&P says that's their, that's their toughest game remaining. Um, it's USC yeah but I mean I don't yeah I don't necessarily buy that I think it's 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 definitely Syracuse which is 
But I don't know. There's some. There's kind of some concerning stats for Syracuse once they leave the dome. That game is that game is in New York, but it's played at Yankee Stadium. It's not actually at the Carrier yeah, that's, Dome. So that's, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, USC lost to Cal. Cal's defense is actually really good this year. On Saturday, it was 15 to 14, and I saw some tweets just basically like it's it's Clay Hilton's gonna he's gonna get fired at the end of the year. I mean, Clay Hilton's done. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe USC could pull a rabbit out of its hat. But um, I got to say, I've been really hard on Michigan this year, and I don't, I don't like Michigan's offense that, that much. But I will say that I have a lot more confidence in Michigan's offense than I have in Oklahoma's defense. A, a lot more confidence, just in general. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's... So, in, in that respect, I, I, I have to give credit to Michigan because... Um, I don't think they'd be able to do anything against Alabama's defense. I think they Alabama would probably you know shut them down, but I think Michigan's defense would probably be able to give to a pretty tough game. It's just it's tough because I don't think Michigan's offense would be able to really back up the defense much. We're on the flip side. Oklahoma's offense would be able to have success against would be able to have success against Alabama's defense, but Alabama's defense would obviously get some stops and get Oklahoma off the field. And i just I don't think Oklahoma could stop Alabama one time. So you know in that respect, that's that's you know. Tip, tip. I'll tip my cap to Michigan for now, even though I've been hard on them. You, know, I think I, 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 gen, I generally would like OU's chances against Michigan now, even also against Notre Dame. Oh, um, I would too. I, I would too. I wouldn't love their chances against Clemson or obviously Alabama either. No, me neither. I, I would again. My dream matchup that it's. I can't. I don't think there's any way it's going to happen. But I'd love to see OU Michigan. Like if OU played Michigan. Like if OU if OU misses the playoff. Like. The one game that would really get me jacked up for a non-playoff bowl matchup would be OU versus Michigan. I think that would be really fun. Uh, I'll be really excited for that. Right now, in all likelihood, it looks like it's it's gonna it might be OU Georgia, which I do not uh, I do not want to see. Do you think they would do that though? I don't. I, I wonder if they would do that though. Yeah, it's, it's they, contractually. If the um the, the mm. Sugar Bowl now is contractually Big Twelve versus SEC. Yeah. Gosh, that would be terrible if it's a rematch i don't yeah i don't i really want terrible i just i have no interest in that whatsoever if that if that's the case but that i mean that'd be a game too i bet you would see i bet kyler wouldn't play in that game either yeah that'd be a, that's an interesting thing if, if oklahoma does not make the playoff does kyler play in the bowl game that i mean that would be that's actually a legitimate question i think because that would give us a, an idea of whether or not like if he doesn't play obviously he's gone yeah but if he does play you know maybe i mean there's I, th- I think that'd be the maybe th- he comes back. I, don't I know. think that'd be the good thing. I think that'd be a good thing if he didn't play. Get get Austin Kendall like the all the reps in practice. I, I think that'd be because it's it's a meaningless bowl game. Who cares? I don't. I mean, I don't care about the Sugar Bowl yeah. if they're not in the playoffs. They just won the Sugar Bowl two years ago. I, I don't. You know. All right. Last thing. God, God we're rambling. Uh, look at the college football playoff rankings, Grant. I can I can see Washington State jumping Oklahoma this week can you um maybe sure I, I could I could see it happening I I don't think Washington it, State had a, had a had a nice comfortable win on the road at an okay a decent Colorado team and Washington State they play defense their offense isn't obviously isn't as good as Oklahoma's def- offense but it, uh, Washington State's got a really good offense and Washington State plays defense I can totally see the committee saying you know what 
I'm moving. We're moving Washington State not only ahead of like ahead of Oklahoma and LSU, and Washington State's the number six team. I can see that happening on Tuesday night. I could see it happening. It wouldn't. It wouldn't cause me a ton of concern because the the committee is. Yeah, I mean, the, the committee is pretty high on West Virginia, as you can tell there. And if if West Virginia wins next week, setting up you know the matchup, it's going to be OU's probably going to be you know going up against the eighth or ninth, seventh, eighth or ninth you know ranked team in the country. So. On the road, that would be a. I mean, that would be a, a win that the committee. I'm. I'm assuming would would really, really value. So yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm not insanely concerned about. It. They. I mean, it's it's the same deal. They need they need Notre Dame and Michigan to lose. Um, probably probably more so they need Michigan to lose because I think whether or not anyone agrees with it, I think the defense is giving the committee quite a bit of ammo. Uh, for if if they wanted to take an 11-1 Notre Dame over a 12-1 OU, I think they they might be able to and use use the defense as a justification. I, I think that that would be fair up to this point. Yeah, I can't. I mean, use the defense. Like the defense is, it can it it costs Oklahoma so many things. So you can't you can't really argue with it. All right, let's get out of here. That's enough. Uh, we'll be back later this week to preview. Oh goodness, OU versus Kansas. That should be fun. Uh, Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.